In today's episode of the Iman Wire podcast. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has on the one hand created a natural inclination between men and women, but on the other hand, that we are enjoined to interact with each other on the basis of mutual respect, on the basis of dignity and purity and honor, and on the basis of basically Alhubfillah, loving one another and having regard for one another for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. Because if I have regard for my brother in faith, right? If a man has regard for his sister in faith, then you're going to love for your brother what you love for, for yourself. And you're going to want to, as much as possible, elevate that person. And you want, you're, you're going to want to conduct yourself, inshallah Ta'ala, in a way that elevates and brings brings uh, things up as opposed to lowering things and we really need to think about that right that each each of us you know bears a responsibility for fostering a particular type of environment assalamu alaikum and welcome to the iman war podcast salim here with my co-host radar assalamu alaikum Joining us today is uh, a, a return guest, uh, Ustad Zainab Mansour Ansari, who uh, was uh, with us on several podcasts uh, last year, and we're very happy to have her back, and we'd like to welcome her to the show. Assalamu alaikum, Ustad. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, how are you and the kids? Alhamdulillah, we're doing well, thank you. Alhamdulillah. So uh, the last time, if uh, some of our listeners may remember, uh, when Ustada uh, Zainab Mansari was on the podcast, it was several topics we discussed, and one of them was about female scholarship, about empowering uh, women's voices. Since then, of course, there's been a lot of, uh, of things that have happened uh, in the Muslim community. Uh, there's been some unfortunate episodes of spiritual abuse and the, and the fallout from that. And then most recently, there's also been some of the fallout from the broader uh, issue of the Me Too campaign uh, and you know, the fallout both in social media as well as in our local communities from that. Uh, and interestingly enough, Osada, when we were talking about doing a podcast with you, that was one of the, the topics that you, in fact, suggested some of the issues in gender interaction in the wake of some of these recent uh, events. Um, so uh, the fact that you bring this up, it seems to indicate that you being uh, a teacher of the sacred knowledge, teaching at Taysir Seminary and going around the country and also interacting with a lot of Muslim communities, what are some of your concerns or some of the issues that you've seen and you've uh, um, been reflecting on uh, since a lot of this uh, these these events have happened? Well, you know, that's an excellent question. And, um, you know, when the Me Too campaign first sort of uh, really exploded on the national stage, I mean, it was... And it was really sort of, um, you know, if you recall, I mean, it really kind of began with this, uh, the, the, the expose of Harvey Weinstein and his activities. And, um, and it really kind of broke wide open this conversation about workplace sexual harassment and broader questions of men's and women's equality, equality under the law, access for women, um, the barriers that women face in terms of career, career advancement. So it was a really interesting conversation. You know, on the one hand, um, you know, it was quite difficult to read about the ordeal that these women, um, you know, sort of had gone through. But on the other hand, I think it really kind of opened up a much needed conversation, I think, just for sort of women in general. Um, and particularly for women um, and men, really, who kind of are sort of um, – exponents of the of the and and proponents really of the of the feminist movement that how much progress really have women made if we're still kind of even having to have this conversation so 
it was very interesting on that level. But I, I began to think about, okay, how does this look in the Muslim community? Does it apply to us? Should we be thinking about this? Should we have conversations about this? And of course, I was really kind of thinking about it in the context of some of these stories that have um, broken recently about um, cases of or allegations of, uh, of spiritual abuse, misuse of religious authority and so on. But what's really interesting is that I found that it really kind of depended who you talked who you talked to. I mean, who I actually talked to in the Muslim community. You know, for example, if, if you're if you're talking to women, there's more, usually more kind of interest and sympathy for this topic, talking to men, maybe not as much. Um, and I also found that there was a certain amount of uh, the sense of, well, we have a distance from this in the Muslim community because look at our teachings. Our teachings uh, in the Quran and Sunnah basically sort of um, stave off this kind of behavior. That's an interesting point because one of the things that I think the, that I've I've heard is that um, if if the individual does bring up the say that the fact that uh, you know the Islamic law and you know our our, our decorum our adab with one another and, uh, you know between the two genders is uh, uh, you know all a lot of these these uh, these protective things are in there for a reason uh, but a lot of people may respond and say well okay that's that's true but. Uh, Muslims are not practicing this, they're not uh, implementing this, and all you need to do is just to walk in the streets of Cairo or or go to, uh, you know, there's there's lots of statistics about the harassment that uh, women, uh, you know, who are wearing full hijab and who are walking the streets, they're still getting harassed and, and facing lots of difficulties in other countries as well, Afghanistan, other countries. So that's sort of the the uh, the, the issue, right, is that, you know, there there are these these safeguards and these um, these etiquettes that should be followed in our Islamic tradition, but it's not we're not seeing it being applied both abroad as well as in the Muslim community in in, in the West. You know, I, I definitely agree. I think while workplace related sexual harassment might not really be a huge issue, at least in the North American Muslim community, um, you know, given the fact that we're kind of a minority, really within a minority. Um, in terms of sort of a, a Muslim-dominated work workplace, but I think this question of well, what do you see in, in 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 majority Muslim societies, and this is why I think we'd be very kind of precise in terms of what are we really getting at here? What are we talking when we when we when we sort of invoke the Me Too campaign? What are we really talking about here? Because I I 100% agree with you that there are serious problems of sexual harassment and even worse taking place. Um, you know, in Muslim majority societies, you know, um, on our very streets that 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 people have to walk, that women are walking in full hijab, and I think that it's a very uncomfortable space for us as Muslims to be in, because we really feel, you know, this perennial question of how do we reconcile between these beautiful ideals of our faith and the actual reality that many Muslims face, you know, Muslim women. And um, and even I'll tell you this, even the response from some women who might, who have never experienced harassment is actually incredulity when women share that they actually have been harassed, sadly, by men, I suppose, purporting to be Muslim in Muslim countries, that it really, again, it kind of opens up the space of discomfort because, again, look at these noble ideals we have. And then how do you reconcile between those and people's behavior? Oh, well, that's a very good point, actually, uh, Stada. When we think about this and, and how some of the uh, Muslims in our community, especially here in the West, are responding 
to uh, you know you know allegations of misconduct uh, you know maybe uh, brought up to the community by women. Uh, let's say before the Me Too campaign, or like historically, uh, they were uh, you know shunned down or maybe uh, you know dismissed or however you wanna you know call it, not brought up to to a serious uh, dealing or address. And um, I wanted to uh, kind of reflect openly. We seem to be you know as a minority, you mentioned we seem to be following the trend however it goes uh you know although some of the spiritual abuse historically in 2017 was not uh you know uh at the me too campaign time it was way before but um it seems that because of this me too campaign that's going on we seem to finally have uh the uh i guess the audacity to say well, you can't just sweep, you know, these, you know, spiritual abuse allegations or, uh, you know, sexual misconduct that's some somewhat, you know, happening in the Muslim community or when when do when Muslims, uh, you know, bring it up, Muslim women bring it up, you know, you can't just dis- dismiss it, you know, and and if I understood you correctly, you mentioned some of the, even some of the Muslim women. They even sometimes, you know, shame the other sisters or tell them like, you know, you shouldn't be saying this or you, they, or some of the other uh, faithful, uh, you know, members of the community. They try to distance themselves instead of trying to welcome these women and try to address it in the most rahma uh, way or in the most, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, compassionate way. So do you think that we're just followers? You know, do you think that we're finally because of this Me Too campaign that's not too much? affecting us because of our principles uh you know it, it somehow opens up the window for us to be able to be a little bit more honest uh, uh you know within the ranks of our small community in the west you know i i don't know you know city radar i i don't know that i would necessarily sort of ascribe this um you know increasing sort of candor about this topic of spiritual abuse to the me too uh, campaign. I think that certainly, I think the Me Too campaign has possibly sort of um, renewed um, and maybe, uh, yeah, renewed maybe focus on this issue of sexual harassment in majority Muslim societies. Absolutely. Um, and I think that, you know, for some, maybe it's raised larger questions of um, women's access, right, to public space and women's access to mentorship and women's access to employment. But my sense is that. The topic of spiritual abuse um, actually came up several years ago in, in, in the Muslim community, just based upon my, my recollections of it, that it kind of came up in the context of, well, quite honestly, because someone asked me about this the other day, it came up in the context of people who were affiliated perhaps with um, a group or a Sufi tariqah or that type of thing. Right. And I actually remember that as well. Right, right. Or maybe yeah. people who, while not directly affiliated with a Sufi fraternity or tariqa, were possibly maybe married to somebody who was, and there were marital problems, and all those things were sort of, um, you know, placed at the doorstep of, of the tariqa or the sheikh. And I've actually, I, I actually have had to address this. Uh, recently with, with someone who came to me and, and to say, hey, look, we have to make sure we differentiate between the responsibility of the sheikh to actually um, give tarbiyah to the murid or to the student or disciple and was actually sort of, you know, uh, 
taking advantage or abusing one's authority. So for me, I really think that conversation around spiritual abuse, that it kind of emanated from that context. But but nonetheless, I think what's really kind of interesting, though, is, you know, sort of at the same time that we were having this conversation about, okay, is this legitimate sort of um, education and training, say, of the, the student by the sheikh or whatever, you know, at the same time, we were also having a conversation about, well, we're the women teachers, we're the women scholars, we're the women religious authorities. And, um, and, and then at the same time, this conversation about, well, are we kind of privileging, you know, maybe this, the, the male religious authority over the female, perhaps opening the door for some of this, you know, sort of misuse of authority that we've seen recently. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. And, you know, another thing that I wanted to say to this topic is, that my and I think maybe the audience might disagree with me, but my view is that not necessarily every case that is a misuse of authority or spiritual abuse is necessarily victimization of that woman. Because I think one of maybe one of the concerns I have about the Me Too campaign is that I don't and we kind of talked about this on an earlier podcast. I really want to avoid um, that. You know, I don't want you know women to automatic sort of automatically be equated with being victim victims or victimized. That in some of these cases that I'm seeing. There was a certain level of consent there, you know, from both parties. I, I don't know that it was necessarily a victimization in every in every case. And misuse of religious authority, yes, but outright victimization of these women, not necessarily. And again, this is just my own take on it. As you pointed out, there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty, I think, now about a lot of conflation uh, about the what issues the Me Too campaign is is uh, is speaking to? As it originally, as you mentioned earlier, it originated from uh, you know the uh, producers, you know, uh, harassment and assault and, and things like that. And it's come to mean a lot of different things. Uh, do you feel that it's actually reached a point where, in some ways, by conflating some very, does it trivialize? the very severe um, episodes of abuse, because some of the things that people are bringing up are, I'll put on the minor scale or, you know, and it, I know some people have raised concerns about this, is that by uh, speaking about some of these sort of different issues or minor issues compared to um, obviously sexual assault and and and, uh, and these very severe cases, it doesn't, it doesn't give the, the, the due to the severity of those abuses. Yes, I mean, I, I I would tend to agree with you, and I know I know there have been some prominent sort of personalities who have kind of caught some flack over this. There was an actor who um, who who argued that we should maybe be more precise and that we're conflating different uh, types of behaviors, and you know, and there there have been some women, but mainly I think men who've who've argued that we have to kind of distinguish between what uh, what's you know, workplace flirtation, what's actual harassment, you know, again, this is where I really think we have to, number one, make sure we're applying the proper Islamic criteria, because they're very clear criteria for gender interaction. But also, I think out of respect for people who have been victimized, and there's certainly been many women who've been victimized outright, that yes, we do have to sort of um, distinguish between behavior that, like I said, is um, annoying or disrespectful and boorish, not to condone it, of course, but to distinguish between that and behavior that's just sort of outright criminal. And in many cases, there's been actual criminal conduct. And again, this kind of takes me back to what we were saying earlier, this idea, you know, the, the, the epidemic of sexual harassment in the, in the Muslim world. Again, there are quite a few men, sadly, that don't think, you know, that, that don't think twice about saying vulgar, or inappropriate things to women as they pass, uh, 
as they pass by in the street or um, and don't think anything of putting their hands on women. And um, maybe for some of those men, they might stop at a, at a certain, you know, they might not cross a certain line, but there are others who do. But again, again, I think it is very important to, to make sure that we're not conflating different things because sadly, for some men, they just, they might view obnoxious behavior as just sort of uh, uh, part of being men because they have obviously the wrong understanding of manhood. So I think we need to be very clear about certain things here. Yeah, locker room talk, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to uh, uh, the the gender interaction, and and if I can bring it back to your profession again, uh, as uh, you know, uh, a, a teacher of sacred knowledge, and as someone who is trying uh, to disseminate. Uh, you know, the adab uh, that's surrounding or that's actually uh, the basin for all, uh, you know, uh, this uh, knowledge, I would imagine that uh, you would get, you know, certain comfort zones that are between uh, women and women, like, you know, like having you, uh, you know, teach a group of women or a group of female, uh, young female, uh, you know, uh, students versus teaching uh, a group of young male students in terms of interaction. And I know that everything, alhamdulillah, is uh, taking, uh, you know, uh, in account the proper adab and the proper gender interaction, uh, open spaces and whatnot. But do you find that women uh, are actually more comfortable to receiving ilm from, uh, you know, female scholars? Do you find that men are comfortable, you know, uh, you know, having... If we had women scholars all over, let's say, although statistically, unfortunately, we don't, but would you find that the general public would be welcoming? Uh, you know, tensions already are building up, you know, uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, and uh, they're not really, uh, you know, creating this, uh, you know, ideal environment for women to thrive as scholars or as teachers and for women uh, students to respond naturally so that we can create this sort of, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say alternative, you know, medium, but I want to say something that is naturally there that was, uh, as far as my reading goes, uh, you know, available a long time ago in the Muslim world. But right now, it's not very much, you know, uh, because of the, again, uh, scarcity of the women scholars who are out there. Right. I mean, I would say that for many you know, for many Muslims and and within many Muslim communities, the the idea of a female scholar is still sort of an anomaly, and I think we need to change that. But and and I, but I think that that is that is slowly changing, and now Subhanallah, it's become really sort of something that we almost take for granted. Say in the in the context of um, you know, say in the setting of a conference or a convention. I think audiences have actually now come to expect that there are going to be women uh, speakers. And I think organizers, actually, that is a priority for them. I, I would point, for example, to the excellent Pearls of the Quran conference. So if I could just uh, add, just uh, if I can interrupt for one moment, sure. just, uh, regarding um, regarding that comment, because um, I can tell you, I remember like, say, 10 years ago when we had events with uh, uh, a women scholar there was a lot of lot of discomfort um, from from both genders as, as 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 being in these classes or being in these audiences, uh, and you know we would get feedback from uh, you know include especially a lot of men who were very very uncomfortable, and I think that's it's changing right and say you would say, how, do you see that change? 
I do. And I'm very gratified to see that, um, Sidi Salim. And I really ad- admire the tenacity of conference organizers in making sure that uh, that that the the speakers that are invited actually are representative of the of the audience to that to whom they're speaking, who they're whom they're addressing, and yes, I mean I I definitely have have sensed a shift. I mean I recall some years back attending programs and conferences where you didn't see a, a single female speaker, and um, if you had brought a female speaker, you probably would have encountered resistance from the audience, men and women alike. You know, and every now and again, as I as I shared, I think. Uh, during an earlier podcast, every now and again, I will encounter somebody who uh, demands that I present my proof for why women can speak in public. But I think that sentiment is really sort of receding. And because, you know, women are going to programs and by and large, actually want to see themselves represented on those stages and men too. And actually, subhanAllah, my experience sort of because you asked about teaching and what it's like to sort of teach um in a co-ed environment versus a, a single gender environment. And what I'm finding is that um, men are increasingly more receptive to actually learning from a female scholar. And um, it's not just young men, you know, because you'd think, okay, maybe they're young and they're maybe more sort of progressive in their outlook. But even, uh, subhanAllah, you know, older men, say, who perhaps are looking for role models for their own daughters. So um, it's kind of an interesting shift. So I really don't, and inshallah, I really do think that we're actually head, heading in the direction of increasing gender parity when it comes to these public events in the Muslim community. But what I, I think what I'd really like to see more of, though, is is women gaining access to the tools that they need to become, you know, scholars and intellectuals, and that our institutions provide a platform for those women. Um, and again, by and large, I find that both men and women are receptive to the idea of a female scholar. But of course, every now and again, though, you will encounter somebody who's resistant to that idea. And of course, it's always very ironic when it's a woman. So, but there's a dynamic at play there. And you kind of see it in the Me Too movement, right? This idea of kind of viewing um, a man as being able to grant certain access and privilege that women can't. So in terms of the issue of representation, I mean, obviously, this is very important. So if you're, you know, in, in going to a, a class or anything like that, that, that is obviously something that I think most of us recognize as something that's that's necessary. Uh, how do you balance that um, need for, as you said, gender parity with the perception that some 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 of this representation may not be qualified representation if you uh, you know if i could say that use that word uh there's you know concerns about that you know who actually is representing the community who's speaking to the community who's teaching them uh, are uh, these people both men and women are, are they qualified um some people raise the 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 issue of uh, uh, this issue because that because of this drive for gender parity or other types of parities that uh, the quality is suffering how would you respond to that I do believe that when it comes to issues of women and gender in Islam, that they're almost by necessity sometimes that there is this sort of um, blurring of lines, this conflation of the roles of the scholar and the activist. But I also would caution people against rushing to judgment that you know that 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 woman is on that that woman was placed on that stage just so that the organizers could say, okay, we've got women there. Um, I, and, and, and the vast majority of, the, of, of, of cases, I think the women that are invited to speak um, are highly qualified. And um, so we need to be very careful to sort of um, 
not, you know, sort of make that 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 sort of suggestion or inference there, because it's something that I'm actually quite sensitive to just based upon, um, you know, my experience teaching that, uh, you know, even um, with a lot of students of sacred knowledge, you know, whether they realize it or not, they're still making a direct association between religious authority in Islam and male gender. And now having said that, it's not that I'm, you know, holding myself up, holding myself up as some kind of expert or authority or anything like that. No, but there are certainly women who have definitely attained to the level um, of education of a sheikh, but that's just not the title, obviously, that they are using or conferring amongst on themselves or, 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 or people are conferring on them. And uh, but I, I would have to say that that yes, sometimes we do sort of conflate those roles of scholar and activist when it comes to issues of women and gender and 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 basically social issues. And we need to be, I think, we need to be a little bit careful there. So, in terms of uh, just and a related point, as we said, I mean, there's definitely a need for more uh, female scholars. There's definitely a need for female teachers, and uh, surely um, a, a lot of uh, a lot of, of women themselves. Uh, may be able to process and uh, and uh, absorb a lot of the Islamic knowledge from having a, a female teacher because um, it, there's definitely uh, I think uh, in general there's a lot of um, interest in this of, of of learning from from female teachers for for good reason um, but on the flip side um, one thing that seems to be also coming up in certain circles is this you mentioned about religious authority like separating religious authority from the male gender but th- there's there's also there's there's also extreme on the other side where to a point where now if, if, if say a, a male teacher is speaking that they're they, they may be accused of, of of a patriarchy that what can I learn from you because of because you're a man I mean I don't think this is a majority of people but this is a, a sentiment that I have heard personally from from some individuals of what can I learn from this person and this is just a, a man it's, it's it's from that same you know that that boys club so um, the only solution is exclusive uh, female teachers what would be your um, what are your thoughts on that. Yeah, there's an imbalance here. And I think there was a question. So Sidi Salim, there was actually a question of Sidi Al-Faydars that I didn't get to. And that's the idea of, you know, separating the genders versus having, say, mixed classes and that type of thing, what kind of reception I get. And let me just say this, that I really think we have to have some balance because I do think that there are, you know, in certain settings, I think we have to be comfortable whether your teacher is male or female, but we have to be comfortable teaching men and women together. I mean, I've, 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 I've taught fiqh, which is, you know, ahkam or Islamic law and, uh, and, and, and rulings that are quite pertaining to areas like tahara, purification and, um, women's fiqh and that type of thing. I've actually taught that in a mixed setting and it's possible to do that in a very kind of delicate and diplomatic way because like I tell the brothers there in the classroom, inshallah, they're, going to inshallah one day get married there inshallah they might have daughters they might have people coming to them for advice they need to be familiar with this right that there shouldn't be um this sort of um artificial barrier of what we think is hayat that kind of precludes us from learning but at the same time i've also you know been in settings where the particular demographic and the profile of the student is such that you maybe want to make sure that you have um, a single gender setting for certain topics. Correct. Yeah. You know, like so a like safe like, space, absolutely. right? Absolutely. You know, some women are just simply more comfortable if uh, to, to yeah. addressing their questions to a female teacher 
Um, And similarly with men, you know, especially when we're having conversations about manhood or sexuality, Um, you know, case in point, um, you know, a seminary where I teach, you know, when we have maybe older, more mature students in the classroom, then yes, you can teach faqah in a mixed setting. But we also have, um, we also work with high school youth after school. And uh, we decided we were actually, since it was mainly high school aged boys, we decided we were going to have a male teacher uh, to work with them and that I would come in and talk to the young ladies. So, you know, again, you kind of also have to have a sense of balance when it comes to this. And let me say this, the idea that, well, you know, I'm never going to sit with um, a male teacher because of X, Y, and Z issue, or I won't sit with a female teacher because of A, B, and C issue. No, the, the adab of the, of the talibat al-alam or talib al-alam, the student of knowledge is that you don't know where Allah Ta'ala might have placed the khair. So be humble and be receptive to that. Absolutely. And I, I, really uh, appreciate the fact uh, uh, that you responded uh, you know uh, you know in this with nuance because um, you know it seems to be very much lost you know when it comes to these uh, dynamic issues and their discussion uh, you know people get polarized uh, in in a very uh, quick way and um, you know to the point of Salim you know some uh, you know women activists may come and say well you know, uh, this is not working. Still, we need, you know, uh, we don't want to listen to, uh, you know, uh, to another, uh, you know, uh, source of patriarchy, even within Islamic knowledge. And I wanted to add to his point that this is also something very dangerous because it will ultimately lead to the Prophet, he's a male, you know, he is uh, someone who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chose to disseminate the, the merciful message of Islam. And, uh, you know, the logic will, and you know there you know like i don't want to get my teachings from a man you know uh, ultimately if we follow this dangerous path and uh, you know maybe i'm making this a little bit too extreme you know but um, i'm using the same logic and uh, allah alam what the next generation would use if we you know try to uh, kind of understand this in a very skewed way and and therefore um, you know i wanted to you know, kind of maybe segue back to the issue of uh, patriarchy and, um, you know, uh, 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 and back to the Me Too campaign as well, you know, because uh, we as a Muslim society say, well, here's the thing. We live in a very protected, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, family structure, alhamdulillah, you know, women are surrounded by their uh, protectors, quote unquote, and this means, uh, i.e., men. You know, uh, this means that you know uh, her cousin, her father, her brother—they're all very much connected in the fabric of the family, and uh, you know, therefore, uh, you know, socially, they're more protected, uh, you know, from being harassed or from being from mingling in in, in a way that is blameworthy, uh, you know, in the shara, but. I wanted to uh, also, uh, you know, ask you what tips you have, because it seems that some of the Me Too campaign, uh, you know, activists outside of the Muslim community are by and large trying to distance women from all forms of uh, patriarchal under the na- under the same guise, you know, as well, you know, uh, from all forms of patriarchal uh, control uh, in the way that they put it. And therefore, this destroys, you know, the, the family structure that we are priding ourselves with, you know, even within uh, a Western society uh, such as the U.S. or Canada. So uh, it, can you elaborate a little bit more on 
you know, on the danger of this uh, feminist agenda, in a sense, if we can use this, or, you know, I know that this word gets conflated with so many things, or that my comments can be taken against, you know, women's uh, rights or anything of that nature. But there are some certain, uh, you know, objections to the way that uh, a lot of the feminists, uh, you know, um, you know, I guess, uh, champions, quote unquote, of, of this uh, cause, there are some, uh, you know, elements or agendas that are being professed that are totally not in favor of Muslim women, if they choose to uh, follow them, uh, and totally also destroying the fabric of the Muslim society, uh, as we know it, for those who practice Islam. Mashallah, that that is um, that that's an important and I think um, a serious question. And, uh, and let me say this: so, Sidi Ghaidar, I want to um, let me preface my answer by for, by first of all saying for all the listeners out there um, that I, I'm not. Please don't interpret my remarks as sort of being completely and wholly dismissive of feminism. Not at all. I think that there, um, you know, there there is much that we should sort of pay attention to and listen to uh, in terms of advocating for women's uh, rights. And, and, the and same here as well. <laughs> yeah, and the dignity of women. Um, but I also want to say, and then and then, then back to the Me Too movement, you know, I've really, I've been thinking about this a lot and looking at, number one, the courage of these women, right? right. Especially, for example, if you consider most recently um, the, subhanAllah, I think we're talking now 200 plus women who experienced abuse at the hands of this so-called physician? Yeah, uh, yeah, that was yeah, the, the the gymnastics uh, doctor. So, um, you know, yeah, Rab, I mean, we've got all these scores of women who have come forward to say, and and again, so the courage that it takes to kind of um, publicly say that 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 one has had to endure this type of trauma. I really want to acknowledge those women and. Um, and I also want to say, you know, regarding this question of sort of um, patriarchy, and I was thinking about the concept of qawwamuna rijalu qawwamuna ala nisa, as we see in uh, verse 34 of Surat and Nisa. Mm-hmm. I think that as Muslims, we have to be very careful here to not ever associate um, the oppressive, violent, or unjust behavior of some men with this beautiful and noble concept of qawwama, they're two entirely different things. And I think that, you know, when you mount a kind of a feminist critique of patriarchy, you run the risk, I believe, of sometimes sort of, um, uh, what's the word, kind of like, uh, you know, painting all male behaviors with a broad brush, you know? Mm-hmm. It's entirely one thing, it, it, it's one thing for a man to, to be sort of, violent or misogynistic or predatory and this is what we're seeing right we're, we're seeing that the, that the behavior that's being ex- exposed through the through the me too campaign is really criminal behavior has nothing to do with manhood and masculinity right but then on the other hand i, I what i think subhanallah what i think um in addition to the to embracing common sense safeguards uh between the genders right for example not being with someone alone and that type of thing so in addition to embracing common sense safeguards, what I would like to see is a restoration of this idea of chivalry, of futuwa, of the idea that men do have a responsibility towards women. And that's not, it doesn't diminish the woman. It's not patronizing. It's not patriarchal. 
for men to stand up and say that we're going to look out for women. We're going to look out for women's best interests, that we're going to make sure that we're not sending our wives and sisters and daughters and mothers into compromising situations. To me, that's actually a really good thing. And, um, you know, subhanAllah, you know, one of the things that we, we, we've seen coming out of the Me Too campaign is that, you know, when men looked the other way or were oblivious to what was happening or did not really exercise the proper level of protectiveness, then the other men, if you want to call them that, with diseased hearts, they took advantage of that. Right. So I, again, we need to have some balance in our approach to this. Certainly, and you know, I I think we would all point out that you know a lot of the reactions that were that uh, we see that even like going back to what we we're saying about like you know uh, say a, a woman not um, wishing to learn from a male teacher. I mean, this all these things they didn't come about. You know, they didn't they didn't they don't exist in a vacuum. It's because of a lot of experiences of misogyny, a lot of experiences of of uh, harassment or all sorts of things that uh, a lot of women experience. And I think one of the problems I feel in our handling of this these issues especially as men is uh, a lot of our discourse is focused on that like okay everybody you know all men are being painted as perpetrators and even the the, the most likable man can be an abuser and so forth and so there's this there's this uh, sentiment that like all men are under siege but when we keep on um, voicing this concern it's it's further silencing uh, if i could use that term that those experiences, those negative experiences of countless and countless women. So when we are speaking um, very vociferously about like that, uh, that men are being attacked. Yes, we can have a discussion about certain elements of that we're seeing with with these with these movements, but we have to be very clear that we can't discount, we can't discredit, we can't devalue these these just these countless experiences that women are having on a daily basis. Um, yeah, absolutely. And again, back to that question of are, are we trivializing certain behaviors when we, when we conflate, say, sexual harassment and sexual assault? I think it really takes men to stand up and say, you know, hey, look, um, this, you know, locker room talk is not okay. You know, and that's where, that's where you get, again, that's where I really want Muslim men to have more of a voice here. Because quite honestly, if, you know, if people sort of adhere to the adab that should dictate gender interaction, then a lot of behaviors that men just kind of view as no big deal, that, 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 that really kind of affect women, you know, men would come and say, no, we can't talk like this. We don't think of women in these terms. We don't speak of them using this kind of language and so on. So one of the things that would be interesting to hear from you, Sada, is, um, uh, you know, speaking about how, going back to the initial, uh, you know, how we started about gender interaction, but like when we're disc- when we're talking about you know our children and and who are growing up and adolescents and and so forth, besides the you know the, the always you're know, talking about uh, dressing modestly and and lowering the gaze, what are some both spiritual practices as well as um, certain um, etiquettes that we also need to be instilling to take us away uh, further away from you know the the, the very um, serious and, 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 and negative gender interactions that we're seeing today. And what are some of your thoughts on that? Again, mashallah, a great que- uh, question, Sidi Salim. I think that what we need to understand is that when we talk about things like uh, hayat, dressing modestly, which is um, a very, um, which is a central Islamic ethic, you know, the Prophet wasallam said, this is one of the characteristics of this religion, right? Um, that sets it apart, hayat. So when we think, 
that when, when we look at things like practices such as observing a hijab, and not just for the hijab for women, but also modest dress for men, when we look at ghad al-basar, when you look at lowering the gaze, when you look at things like avoiding khalwa or avoiding seclusion with a member of the opposite sex, you know, when, when we... Um, when we when we think about you know sort of prescriptions, for example, on certain kinds of speech and so on, that we should not view these things as uh, what's the word? We shouldn't view these as impositions or burdens or some kind of like mechanistic um, kind of response to um, to sort of a natural attraction you know between genders. I mean, not at all. What we should we should view these practices as really kind of being. Um, suffused with a certain level of awareness and taqwa and uh, an understanding that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right, has on the one hand created a natural inclination between men and women, right? But on the other hand, that we are enjoined to interact with each other on the basis of mutual respect, on the basis of dignity and purity and honor, and on the basis of basically um, loving one another and having regard for one another for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. Because if I have regard for my brother in faith, right? If a man has regard for his sister in faith, then you're going to love for your brother what you love for, for yourself. And you're going to want to, as much as possible, elevate that person. And you want you're you're going to want to conduct yourself, inshallah ta'ala, in a way that elevates and brings brings uh, things up as opposed to lowering things. And we really need to think about that, right? That each each of us, you know, bears a responsibility for fostering a particular type of environment. And to understand that we really have to be very vigilant. Um, in terms of safeguarding ourselves from falling into these things that the, the nafs inclines towards, right? And that sometimes taking that path of taqwa and restraint can be more difficult, but in the end, inshallah, it bears, it, 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 it bears fruit, right? In the sense that we're able to cultivate this sort of consistency between who we are in private and who we are in public. And I really want to remind all of us that we have this beautiful ayah in Surah Tawbah, that the believing men and believing women are allies and protecting friends one of another. They enjoin what is right and forbid what is wrong, and establish prayer, and give charity, and obey God and his messenger. Those, indeed, Allah Ta'ala will have mercy upon them. Indeed, God is exalted in might and wise. Sadaqallah al-Azim. Sadaqallah al-Azim. This is actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, something that reminds me of the khayriyah of our ummah as well, you know, because uh, it seems that we, uh, I mean, although this is maybe something of a different topic, but it's, uh, you know, its manifestation is in the realm of what we're talking about um, uh, now, which is the, you know, the ayah, كُنْتُمْ خَيْرَ أُمَّةٍ أُخْرِجَتْ لِلنَّاسِ تَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَتَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَتُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ You were the best of, uh, you know, communities uh, that uh, was brought to uh, 
the people, you know, that you enjoy in the good and forbid the bad and you believe in, in God, uh, that this khairiya, this best of community is really an outcome. It's not an entitlement. And uh, it is more of an, uh, you know, an invitation for all of all of us to, you know, uh, not be reactionaries in, in our take on this uh, campaign or on that uh, trend or uh, on, on a matter that may or may not, uh, you know, afflict our community in a, uh, in a direct way. But at the same time, uh, it seems that we need to do a little bit more ishtihad, wallahu alam, in terms of uh, coming with more solutions or uh, coming up with, uh, you know, ideas that can be a little bit more innovative uh, to enjoin the good and, and forbid the bad so that we can protect our neighbors and protect, uh, you know, of course, ourselves as well and our families and loved ones. So, uh, you know, I guess it's more of a comment, a general comment that I wanted to, you know, uh, to mention that it seems that we're always maf'ul bihi, you know, we're always like reactionaries. We're always trying to, you know, as a community, uh, maybe react instead of being proactive and instead of producing uh, solutions so that we can reach out to our neighbors uh, in the larger American or Western community to say like, hey, well, these things work, you know, and these things have a meaning. These things have, uh, you know, uh, you know, and of course we do it in a not holier than thou way. We, 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 we do it in, in a loving way. We do it in a, you know, it's not, it's not like, Hey, see, you know, we told you so, you know, uh, this was already in Sharia, you know, the gender, uh, interaction rules are already there. And, and that also reminds me of some of the, uh, you know, techniques or some of the policies that some of the uh, companies are actually now coming up with that pretty much translate into some of Sharia rulings, you know, <laughs> in terms of uh, gender interaction in the working place and uh, almost there's no khalwa allowed uh, between men and women in some of the offices, uh, which is pretty interesting. But I guess what I wanted to, you know, comment generally is maybe, you know, I hope, you know, that we can become a little bit more proactive in our khayriya because it is something that is an outcome, not an entitlement and uh, uh, not a label uh, and, and not just uh, something that is gained by saying shahada. So uh, maybe I wanted just to comment this out to see how you want to maybe translate it in a, in a way that is better than I <laughs> uh, with, with your help, Ustada. No, not at all. I think you've done a, a, a great job, Sadiq, laid out. I think there's so much we can share. And, you know, you know, this idea of safe space, I mean, I think we could argue that this is something that Islam legislated for women, uh, subhanAllah, centuries ago. So, there again, there's so much that we should be sharing. There's so much of which we can be proud. Um, and and again, not in this, as you said, not, not in sort of an, an entitled or holier-than-thou way, but just to impart to our friends and neighbors and community that that this is a religion that has a very kind of holistic balanced understanding of the nature of human beings and and our and fitra and what is good for us and what is inher inherently healthy and pure and there's absolutely so much that we can share and in, in what and, and and i think one of the things i've always found very very uplifting about this way of life is that that through the centuries that subhanAllah that that our community I think in in uh, to a large extent has managed to kind of a, avoid this sort of objectification and commodification of women. I mean this is something huge and I wish we could share this. 
one of the things also uh, Sada is like you know um, in, in sharing these in sharing our 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 etiquettes and sharing our tradition. Uh, I think uh, one of the things we also need to do is we have to remember first to listen, uh, because I think one of the things that we are falling victim to is as Gaidar was mentioning earlier is that the minute something happens we have to uh, have uh, this uh, in, in reaction and um, in the reaction often mutes what was the uh, initial uh, the initial incident uh, you know our reaction drowns out what was actually the the problem the the first the, you know whoever in, you know whoever brought it to attention and we have a we have a bad tendency to not listen to where people are coming from and you know maybe they have a, a deviant idea maybe they have like you know something that's not uh, within our tradition or maybe they have something that you know it's just because based on a lot of experience they've had in their life we have to be able to listen to that and not just put like a you know this uh, one size fits all approach to every single person. I mean, everybody. You have to uh, discuss the topics and discuss these issues with each of them on uh, on, a, on a way that they understand, on a way that conducive to to uh, to you know to to where they are in their in their life, and a way that's you know the, the most wise way that they can understand it. Um, do you find that um, in your experiences, uh, you know, dealing with a lot of uh, students, dealing with a lot of uh, people in the community? That you've had to employ different approaches with different people in in, in teaching and in, or in discussing some of these issues that are uh, really hot topics in the Muslim community. Oh, yes, absolutely, and 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 uh, and you do have to listen. You do have to listen, and uh, you have to listen. You have to be sympathetic. I think that you and you have to also be very careful not to. You have to be very careful not to sort of. Um, you know, as Sidi Ghaidar was saying, you know, be not to sort of, you know, pose facile solutions, to, you know, because people, number one, people want to be heard. And number two, they, you know, the, this this idea that, subhanAllah, again, you know, we're trying to reconcile between I, between the ideal, right, these ideals and, and the reality. And some of us are very fortunate that we are in spaces where these i where these ideals are really adhered to alhamdulillah but others of us are not have not had that experience and what do you do for example when someone comes to you say when a woman comes to you and she has been abused and she has been mistreated and she's not seeing any of these ideals you know sort of um uh being applied to her in any way shape or form so yes i i, I agree it is very very important to listen and to be sympathetic and to, to understand that ideals, you know, subhanAllah, you know, if they, if they remain just sort of, uh, you know, if they remain sort of restricted to the texts and they're not translated in, into the reality of human beings, you know, on, on a day-to-day -day level, then we have failed in our responsibility, quite honestly. On that note, uh, I, I know uh, that you have to go, so we could talk more about this topic, but uh, that's all the time we have now for now. Um, I want to thank you for uh, for taking the time out of your busy schedule and uh, and to be on the show today. Um, uh, thank you to all the listeners for uh, joining us again for another episode. You can uh, always visit our uh, site, imanwire.com, for the latest podcast episodes and the latest articles. If you're listening to us on iTunes, please leave a review, um, uh, leave your feedback. You can send us any uh, comments or feedback at uh, imanwire at almadinainstitute.org. We hope to see you in the next podcast. Until then, assalamu alaikum, peace be unto you. As-salatu as